Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. we got a very interesting show. We're going to cover a lot of different grounds tonight. we got the Swamp Girl who's going to be joining us. And we're also, in the last segment for the last 20 minutes, we're going to talk about Pearl Harbor. Uh, this was one of those things where we had a – well, actually, the Swamp Girl wrote, wrote me a little uh, – sent me a little email saying, hey, we are going to talk – are you going to be talking about uh, Pearl Harbor today? I said, sure. Yeah, good idea. And so, uh, so per the so the Swamp Girl, alias Pam, how you doing? Hey, what's up, Tyler? Oh, not much. I'm not walking much. home. I'm just, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm on my walk home. home. Yeah. Uh, well, how far? Yeah, I walk. So how far are you? So how far are you from your home? A hundred yards. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like uh. 100, 150 yards from football fields. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. But that's why the dogs are barking in the background and all that stuff. All right. Well, How you, you doing? You also... I'm sorry about your, I'm not... sorry about your loss this weekend. I'm sorry about Pardon your me? loss this weekend. Well, you know what it is. Uh, you know, some days you got it, some days you don't. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Iowa did not have it at all. I, you know, I tell you. You know, when they had that first drive, they went, you know, they stopped Michigan three and out. They get that first drive, and they have the guy open in the end zone with that trick, you know, with the uh, halfback option. They missed the play. One of the most dependable field goal kickers in college misses an easy 33-yard field goal. At that point, I'm thinking, yeah. gee, gas, this does not look good. And the very next series, it was like, what, two plays, and Michigan has a 67-yard rushing attack touchdown and then after that 75 yard touchdown pass and after a while they held their own and but you know uh, somebody uh sent me a text you know you realize even i from here in south carolina can guess what you guys are going to run in the first and second down that was me <laughs> that was me i was sitting here looking and i'm like no if i can figure out what play they're fixing to run i know michigan again because you know that i don't know all that much about it yeah, but I could, so, I could. I knew when they were going to run, and they kept running on first down. I'm like, y'all need to change that up a little bit. Everybody knows you're running on first down. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just one of those but things yeah. where Michigan just played 
such a great game, and we played one of the worst games I've seen we've played in a long time. I mean, I haven't seen anything you know this bad in so long. Uh, that's all I can say. It's and now we'll it was pretty. To, yeah, the Citrus Well, as a Carolina fan, thing. we're kind of used kind of tragedy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, and nothing else. Though. The Washington football team won. My football team won. Yeah, so, there you go. So and they won. Saturday, get happy on Sunday. Yeah, and they won on the pretty much near the last play of the game with a field goal kicker they just picked up, you know, like before the game. You know, it's like this is their fourth field goal kicker. The first guy they cut, you know, the, the first guy they cut, and he's now uh, Los Angeles Chargers. The second guy, you know, had two field goals, and he had three blocked. I mean, it's like it'd be, you know, you know three out of five were blocked. So he, he went off to – Dude, then they had a guy look pretty good for a couple of games, and then he gets hurt. Now they literally had to play the, uh, you know, the I think it, yeah, it was the Monday night game against. Uh, yeah. And they they had no, they had absolutely no. I mean, the guy got injured, so they basically ended up having to play. They, they had to basically play with no field goal kicker. So yeah. no extra point, no extra point. So yeah, so no field goal. I mean, and that was the thing because. It, yeah, you know, I mean they had again. It's like they had one kick block that went back for an, you know, an extra point, turned into a two point conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it it's just one of those days. I mean, you're looking at this game and you're like saying to yourself, "E, oh Seattle, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. this was against Seattle. Yeah, I mean the Monday night game against Seattle. That was like again, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those games we should have won a lot easier, but we didn't have a field goal kicker." Yeah, we had to basically go for, like, for example, instead of at the end of the game, you know, they went for a touchdown. They went for a touchdown, which was called back, uh, which mm. gave uh, Russell Wilson one more shot. That normally would have been a field goal. It still would have, and it would have put us, like, two scores ahead, ten points ahead with about two minutes left, right? So, right. So, yeah. And then last and then last week, uh, like I say, they pick up the fourth kicker, essentially during the week. Yeah. You know, you got anything else to do with your life? Nope, I just got cut. You know, I'm playing around with the Bears practice squad. Oh, then you're really not doing anything. <laughs> come kick it. You know, come kick field goals for us. And it was a 48 yard field goal too. It wasn't like a, a, a yeah. chip shot. It wasn't right. a chip shot at all. You know, so, but uh, we're going to get into some of the comments. Uh, that you know, after this is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we got the Swamp Girl. At the last segment, Dr. Larry's going to be joining, and the three of us are going to talk Pearl Harbor. Uh, so we should have a pretty, a pretty good show. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. 
I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. And ladies and gentlemen, this segment will be brought to you by... Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports, offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. we got uh, joining us here tonight the Swamp Girl, uh, uh, Pam. And, and she's good. Yeah. There's a couple of comments you hear, uh, and I want to kind of get your views on this. I mean, actually, you're going to give me your views on what you'd expand on. You know, have we become a nation of weenies? <laughs> yeah, we have. Yeah. We have. You yeah. talk about the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. You know, the country came together and yeah. decided no, no more, that we're done. You know, we're, and uh, we have not done that. You know, there was a little bit of that since 9 11, but we've allowed, we've allowed, you know, other groups. To come in and, and be influencers, and and these are small parts of of our yeah. um, social system, and we've allowed them to be the, the largest voices. And uh, I think the, you know, unless I'm totally reading things wrong, I think the the regular person, and I consider myself one of those, um, that's struggling to make it day to day to day to day. You know, we just we get tired of things, and um, yeah. We've become big weenies uh, on the world stage too, and I think everybody knows it. That's that's the that's my biggest concern a little bit, um, you know, because defund the police, um, you know, hits uh, disrespect in the military hits, um, disrespect to our veterans hits. You know, when you're paying, like somebody pointed out, you're paying a. a People who are illegal aliens that came over here, yes, I understand refugees and all that, but they should not be getting paid more than our veterans. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just yeah. bizarre. <laughs> it's a bizarre well, world. Here's the thing, because what people, what you know, Tam is kind of referring to is that there was a proposal, and I have no idea where they is now because I think it's kind of hidden in the bowels of the bureaucracy for a problem. They're actually going to offer, you know, illegal immigrant families crossing the border uh, $450,000 as payment for, you know, past separation. And, what? yeah, and, 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 which, and I forgot, Dan Crenshaw, the um, Republican out of Texas, wrote, oh, no, say, hey, this is more than what a widow, fallen veteran, would have gotten. Well, it's I mean, more than a police officer retiree. You know, come on now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, it, 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 I mean, it's absolutely, I mean, it's like, you know, these people, you know, it's like break the law, cross the country illegally, we'll give you, a, you know, you get to hit the lottery. 
It just yeah, doesn't and, make and sense. I, and I, I mean, I understand the, uh, refugee status. You know, I understand that going into a country and helping people out and getting them over here, you know, because their villages overrun by drug dealers and shit, whatever. You know, we've done that before in the past. Um, yeah. We've, we've saved a lot of people from a lot of things, but then there's some breakdown in the assimilation process. Um, whereas if I have to work and put myself through school, everybody should be putting themselves through school and all of this, like, student debt loan stuff, I mean... Are you going to pay me yeah. back for all the 80 hours a week I work just so I could get myself into college to get through college and go extra, you know, to afford my books and afford my stuff? Um, you know, a few times I did get some scholarships to help out and stuff. But, you know, come on now. I paid my way. Um, yeah. Well, you, somebody, and like what do I get for it? But, yeah. you know, I mean, it, like it's a uh, very screwed up system. Yeah, somebody who's actually paid, uh, you know, has co-signed a couple of loans of that nature of one of my uh, ch- you know, children. Again, I'm one of those who figures, you know, it would benefit me tremendously. It would benefit my daughter tremendously if you could give those loans. But the question comes into play is, hey, you took the loans out as part of the deal. Like you take Correct. a loan out to buy a house. You take a loan right. and – and and the and if you sit back and look at it, the people who had the highest loans, also people who tend to be the wealthiest or coming from the wealthiest side of the equation, or they got themselves good enough good jobs. And and I find you know, and to me the most insulting aspect of all of this is when you see some congresswoman who literally gets on the floor, who's making one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars a year, complaining we should be paying off her loan. Correct. That she that she chose to a go to law school. She chose to do these things. Her response is, "Well, I didn't want to be a big time lawyer. I'm here to do whatever the people's work or whatever charitable work she thought she was going to be in." But the reality that comes into the play here is, look, she's making one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year. She's a congressperson. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I'm sorry. Hey. I'm sorry, you know, pay off your own loans. <laughs> at, at, at that salary, you would think that somebody should be able to handle their money a little bit better. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, they do teach math or they did teach math in schools. Um, and I think I pointed out to you, we were talking about the economy. There was just a report today, just just now, a few minutes before I came up here. My father watches the news. And um, they were talking about the economy in South Carolina is really good right now. And, uh, and and he looked at me and he says, you know, that's just a bunch of numbers. I said, what are you talking about? He said, if the economy were so good, the shelves would be full yeah. at the supermarket. If the economy was so good, people would not be homeless, you know, and living on the street. Yeah. There would be shelters. There would be places for them. Somebody could rearrange that money a little bit better to help out those less fortunate. Um, if the economy were good, we wouldn't be paying so much for gas, for bacon. You know, I always complain about bacon. Yes, you um, do. You always seem to make that point with me in particular. Yeah, because you're from uh, Iowa and y'all got all the pigs up there. But <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, there's, there are two states. You know. The two top states is Iowa's the number one state, and I think uh, – North Carolina is number two. Obviously, they're not shipping you any pigs either. 
No, they're not. And I've got cousins up there, but whatever. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> but the whole the, the the whole thing is is that um, about the bacon. You know, I was thinking earlier. You know, real men really don't know the price of bacon. No. Men traditionally don't. If if you look at the roles, they don't. They they are the breadwinners. And they make the money, yeah. but yeah, it's the people that usually cook, and in a traditional household, that's the women. But yeah. no, nah, men men do not real men, in my opinion, do not know the price of bacon. They just know they love it, you know. That is true. We do love and, uh, it. And I had some, I had and, uh, some bacon today. I had we, yeah. you know, we've been we're eating potato soups over the weekend, so we've been, uh, you know, trying to get dipping into the potato soup. So what I do is I. You know, cook a couple pieces of bacon, cut them up, put them on top, and along with cheese on top of the potato soup. Oh, it's delicious! But then it gets you following. You've been following Coco and her recipes too much, man. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, yeah. yeah. The thing is this. Well, I mean, the thing that comes in play is this: is that bacon goes with everything. I mean, who can hate bacon? Yes, it does. I mean, yes, it, it is. does. And uh, you can uh, basically tell the economy and the economic status by the price of bacon. In my yeah, opinion, that's I mean, a good I'm, point. like I said, I, yeah. uh, just look at the price of bacon, and you'll know how your neighborhood is doing. You'll know how your country is doing when you yeah. start looking at well, the price. A, of yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting point because here's the thing with inflation: inflation is a government-induced period. I, I mean, first of all, number one, the number one person, the, the one, the number one group that has responsibility for the monetary supply, the Federal Reserve, uh, has basically let they spick it since the COVID, uh, since uh, COVID, pretty much allowed uh, the money supply to increase substantially. The second part of the equation is, as the old saying goes, you know, it's too much money chasing too few goods. You know, first it's a monetary, but if you don't have any economic plan to grow the economy or productivity, uh, you're aiding and abetting as a government policy. Inflation because uh, there's not enough products being produced to slush up that extra money. That's inflation. Well, listen. Go ahead. But even if you look at it a little bit deeper, though, Tom, if I wanted to come up to Iowa and buy myself a hog, I'd have to get certain permits to carry that hog back to South Carolina, government permits. But yeah. somebody would have to certify that that hog was a hog, that the hog wasn't diseased. And I would have to pay for all that, right? And then I'm going to have right. to pay for the feed for the hog to keep it alive to come back here to South Carolina, um, which is regulated and taxed by the government. And so it becomes this big old uh, mud puddle trying to get through a big old mud bog, just trying to get yeah. me a hog so I can have me some bacon. Um, yeah. You know, on barbecue or and, whatever, uh, it, it, and that's that's government regulated. So that's why I say, by the you know, in the sim- simplest put, look at the price of bacon. Yeah. You know, because well, everything that goes into that bacon getting on my shelf has to do with regulations on the other end. That's a good point. I mean, that's a good point because, like I say, people don't realize what it takes to get a product to the market to get bacon to the market. Uh, and and the the steps one has to go through because you just did it might be a very nice way of educating people on what how products in the United States get to the market and the government 
and so, you know, and plus the government role in getting that to the market, the government taxation to get it to the market. And so, you know, so it's you have just given our audience an excellent history and an excellent economic lesson that they should learn, namely, you know, to get from point A to point B, uh, you find yourself having point C, D, E, F, and G added to the mix before it gets to point B. So it's Correct. a very interesting aspect. We're going to take a quick break here. Tom Dawson, Dawson Files here on the Bastion News Radio Network. You might know me on 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedinamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Yeah, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. This particular segment is brought to you by Napa Know How. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa Know How, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How. Jim, welcome to the Donaldson Perils here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We got the Swap Girl with us, uh, Pam. We also got Dr. Hello. Larry joining us in this next segment. We're and Pam and uh, uh, you know Pam, uh, Dr. Larry, and myself. We're going to be talking about uh, Pearl Harbor because it is the 80th anniversary. Of Pearl Harbor. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people we, always uh, so ask that, my father. My, my father is a, uh, a Navy man. And uh, okay. I asked him one time why he went into the Navy because, I mean, we come from a family of military service. And I said, why the Navy? And he said that when he was, uh, I forgot how old he was, but he was. Uh, in between 10 and 15 when Pearl Harbor hit and they listened to it on the radio. That's when he decided that he was going to go into the Navy. Um, oh. You know, you talk about 9-11, um, you know, how people join the military after 9-11. You, you hear a lot of fellows yeah. say that. Well, for him and his, you know, long career in the Navy, it was um, Pearl Harbor. It was yeah. just that. So, yeah. And he's, he gets pretty well, you know, melancholy yeah. around this time, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's kind of an interesting you know, point you make there because we've had the passing away of Robert Dole, 98, yeah. who was part of that generation. Uh, I don't know if you caught this news, but the last remaining officers of the Band of Brothers, you know, that, you know we had yeah. that was based on the book. Uh, based on the book by uh, yeah, the historian, and I'm trying to remember his name real quick here. Uh, so, but uh, no, but he passed away, and I think there's maybe one person left 
of that. Uh, one person left. Stephen yeah, I think um, I read Amber. that. Stephen yeah. Ambrose. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a generation that is, and your father is probably, you know, he's one of those last remaining part of that generation that's there. And and it's 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 kind of like uh well he would be considered a Korean War veteran I think but uh well he, but well, Pearl he, Harbor is what made him you know yeah want Go to, ahead, well so was he in World War Two at all as of the Korean War and he was in service during the Korean War but he um. I mean, in one of those situations, well, I, if you want to ask him what he did in the Navy, I will let him tell you. How about that? Um, right. Because he did special assignments and stuff. But he was a submariner for a while. He's a, a senior chief petty officer. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, and he was in the uh, Pacific Fleet, and he was in the Atlantic Fleet, and then he had some special assignments. Um, oh. But my uncle followed well, in his heels and did 20 yeah. years um, on a U boat. Well, actually, interesting. Yeah, yeah, actually, interesting because my dad was a chief petty officer in the Navy too. Hmm. Now, he served mostly in the Atlantic. But as he will okay. tell you, but the one thing you know, he did tell me this one story because you know the you know the VE oh, day when mm-hmm. we defeated the Germans, we saw the Japanese. And there was always the talk right. about, okay, the invasion of Japan. And they were looking for pilots. So they basically, he was going through, uh, you know, flight school. And he would have been hmm. part of that invasion of Japan. Wow. As he said, you know, the atomic bomb you know, took that off the table. And there are a lot of people of that generation that does not mind the atomic bomb being dropped. They have no qualms. Because, quite frankly, they would have been the ones who would have gone. Uh, yeah, and, and the way my father explained some of that was that this was pure evil, and it wasn't going to go away. Yeah. And they needed to know, you know, they were warned and told prior to. And um, it was one of those, you know, to him, to hear him talk about it, you can read history books and you know, you get different points of view, but he said, you know, it was just something that had to be done at that time. And, uh, yeah. you know, that was that was one of the things, you know, hey, we got to stop this. This is crazy. Yeah. it's Well, you know, I tell you, so people really don't understand what, you know, how evil you know, evil could be. It's like you, you talk about the word weenie, but it's the other aspect, the reflection of history itself. That there are indeed evil regimes and evil people, and we see them even today, but we just don't see them in the same way. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Nazi in what Germany, world do we think it's okay to behead people? You know, yeah. in, in what world, all of a sudden, it's okay to be talking to people that do that on a regular basis? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that throw people off of buildings on a regular basis. That you know, uh, if they were to come over here, you know, I, I would imagine that, that uh, you know, it, if if I were a gay person, I'd be scared shitless. Excuse my friends, I don't know how to say that, but 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are people that, that know you're the infidel. You were evil. But I'm not even talking about them as much as I'm talking about things that happened in Africa with Boko Haram, you know, um, yeah. those kind of things where they incorporate into killing people and stuff. I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. The world out there is, is uh, uh, how do you say it, not as uh, yeah. soft as we are, you know. We, we, yeah. we don't do those things, and this country was built off of we don't do those things. Uh, well, that's a, yeah, yeah, but, it's, it's, yeah it's, it, absolutely, because it's the, to me, the knowledge of history is what is lacking today. I mean, it's, I don't think people truly understand uh, like the, we used to. I mean, and uh, I don't know. Well, I always rail that. about that, too. You know, I always, always rail about that where... Um, even today, things are done. We've got cemeteries. We've got people buried on the cities. We've got things because it was a progress, because of this, because you had the million dollars to build this stadium, so let's just build it on top of these people's, you know, cemeteries and then didn't complain. Yeah. You know, you want to make an issue that um, Black Lives Matter, but then you're going to build a, a golf course over a friggin' cemetery? Are you kidding me? So yeah. it's, it's happened yeah. here in South Carolina, you know, um, uh, and then put some senators or House representatives' name on top of the thing. You know, like, come on, dude. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, the yeah other thing, I mean, we just you know, lost sight of yeah, it. Here's what I'm going to close, and we're going to get more into the Pearl Harbor there because it's, you know, it's, you know I kind of like to make the statement that we have been involved in some really grand experiments. You know, I've talked about the pandemic side of the equation. I've talked about the crime side of the equation, where we literally, okay, you know, what happens, you know, when you, A, defund the police, cut the budget of the police, when you take the police out of high crime area, uh, what happens? Well, guess what? Crime goes up. I mean, this was one of those you would think after this grand experiment that we would learn something from it. And and even those people most directly, in fact, I know I've done enough polling on it, and you talk to, let's say, people of color, black or Hispanics, you know, they want the police back in their neighborhoods because they're the ones who get hit with this. And there have been thousands of additional deaths as a result of these kinds of policy. I, mean, I could literally go look at the... Uh, you know, pandemic and say, okay, we didn't stop the virus, but we sure as hell stopped a good portion of the economy. And we had that grand right. experiment. But those those states that had less economic restrictions also had the lowest unemployment across the board. I mean, by 30%, 40%. And I think we're learning this with inflation. You know, we're learning this with, you know, inflation. Where, I mean, literally... Yeah, I agree, but I don't know if you remember back a while back that we went through this major inflation. And my only concern about that, just as a layperson here, and I'm not an expert at anything really, um, is that prices go up. And I don't, you know, people talk historically and stuff, they never go down. They never go down. 
time, no. gas might go down, you know, if you have enough gas. But when you look at the price of things on the shelf, they don't go down. Well, yeah, the answer is, yeah, that's a good point. And even with the gas, I mean, this, again, is the fourth grand experiment where on energy, where literally if somebody came to me and said to me, okay, here's going to be this form, here's our policy. We're going to, A, shut up the pipeline, shut pipelines into the United States. We're going to reduce the amount of oil and natural gas being produced. And... And you're surprised that prices go up because you've restricted the production. And then you have the, again, you go back to weenie side of the equation. You know, the weenie side of the equation is, is, uh, nobody stood up. I mean, the weenie side of the equation is you've got Joe Biden literally going to OPEC and saying, would you produce some more oil and, and have OPEC laugh in our faces like, Hey, you did this to yourselves, dude. We're not – hey, we're making a ton of money hands over fist because of you guys. Why would we want to help you out now? You, you know, if you want, you want uh, production, go produce your own. But we're not going to cut – you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's about as effective as that diplomatic uh, boycott of the Olympics this year, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I just thought I can tell you the Chinese – yeah, I mean the Chinese are probably laughing too. Like, oh, okay, oh yeah, you know they are. Yeah. yeah, we got NBC over there, so we don't need you anyway. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Yeah, we got NBC. We got NBC. We got your team. We don't care. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah. Uh, right. And I have to imagine Putin is sitting there thinking, "Oh, you're going to do economic sanctions if I invade Ukraine." Yeah, whatever. Correct. Yeah, you, I mean, that's going to be a nothing burger, too. You yeah, know it? I, mean, I like, know it. Everybody knows it. I mean, I mean, what's he going to do? Beg Putin for oil? I mean, come on. <laughs> Maybe you're right. We have weenie. I mean, I used to say we're ruled by, you know, by idiots. But uh, maybe we can add to the equation we're being also ruled by weenies. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't, well, we don't have enough people to stand up. Uh, you know, it, when you do start stand up, you know people crap happens to them. Um, yeah. You know somebody's going to muddy the water. Somebody's going to make a mud pit out of something so that the wheels are slowed enough so they can get their agendas through. Um, and yeah. that is like any court case anymore. You know, they used to talk about tort reform, and they haven't done anything about that. Um, you know, you used yeah. to talk about um, how to make, I mean, you know, do one bill at a time. Don't be don't be porking everything. Don't be piling on, you know, this or piling on that so you can get this vote. Um, you know, millions of dollars, billions of dollars. They, they got a park here in Columbia. It's a major park. It's really big. And all of a sudden they get this money. Talking about, I'm not talking yeah. about where I'm from. I'm across the river. But... They're going to spend a billion dollars getting somebody, I think it's a uh, maybe a couple of hundred thousand getting somebody to figure out what's the matter with the park. Um, the fountain don't work, maybe. They shut the water off. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to spend billions of dollars to redo the park. How, you know, redo it to what? You already have a bandstand. You already have a stage. You already have this. You already have what? Whereas you've got people living on the street. 
Yeah. You know, you could do something in in that part of town. You know what I mean? Which is right. All yeah. of it's right downtown. You got. We're still going to have the homeless in the park. Be it you want to view by the park. I didn't make this stuff makes no sense to anybody. You know, if you look at it rationally, yeah. you want me to buy an electric car? Do you think I can afford an electric car? Yeah. No. Do I want to buy that an electric was, that, car? That, Six hundred dollar battery for the thing. I've got a hundred and twelve yeah. degree heat here on a good day in the summertime. Do you think that stuff is going to last? I talked to somebody up in South Dakota, and they started laughing. That's like, you can't get golf to work up in South Dakota when it's 43 degrees below. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? They're not, oh, yeah. not thinking. <laughs> oh, they're not thinking. Very, yeah. That, yeah. We're going to hold on to that thought real quick. We'll finish up, and then we'll get back to uh, Pearl Harbor. This time, Dawson Dawson Files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Yes, and this segment is brought to you by, oops, here it is, let me get this thing lined up perfectly. This segment is brought to you by Napa Know How. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Yes, Tom Dawson, Dawson Files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we Also on the line, we have the great of the uh, co-host of the Resistance Hour, uh, Dr. Larry Federer. So, well, Dr. Larry, welcome to the show because I wanted to, uh, you know, wanted to kind of get you here, uh, so the kind of you have you talk about your historical perspectives. We we got the Swamp Girl, uh, and and you know it, it it's it, it's kind of a you know if you look at Pearl Harbor, and I guess I'll start it this way. Yeah, I'm going to give you my Bob Dole story. Uh, I'll get it. Is Bob Dole's daughter and I were in the same home uh, home rules. Oh, yeah, home home rule uh, class together. I mean, we in high school, 
Yeah, so I, for four years I sat next to her because we were in the D's and the D's, you know, we had like everything in alphabetical order. You know, you went into the homeroom, uh, what you call the homeroom where, you know, this is where you go before you went to all your other classes and you hear all the announcements or whatever it is. And, you know, she sat next to me for four years. Very nice young lady. Very nice lady. And, and interesting enough, when Bob Dole ran for the Senate and, you know, and ran for the presidency in Iowa, you know, yeah, I got to I see some Kansas. of the candidates up. Kansas. Yeah, this is a no Iowa, 1996. Oh, you mean the primary? Yeah. Primary, yeah, the caucus, yeah. And so I'm sitting there, you know, you know, and so all these candidates come through. You know, uh, Steve Forbes came through. A bunch of other people came through. You know, Bob Dole came through. So I went to one of his, you know, I went to one of his events, and I'm sitting, I'm looking at this uh, lady who, I sometimes think, God, she looks familiar. I turned around and said, you're, you're Robin Dole, aren't you? He said, oh, yeah, you're, oh, you're Tom. I remember you, Jeb Stewart High School. We shot the, you know, shot the bull and all that. And then at another event, I was in the audience, and she saw me, and she takes her dad, takes her dad, and says, you know, I, you know, and she kind of pointed at me and said, hey, I went to high school with that guy. <laughs> and, you know, Dole, you know, raised his left hand and, uh, you know, moved on. So that's my Bob Dole story. But, you know, it, let me begin with a story here, you know, my thoughts on uh, the greatest generation. And I'm not going to say the greatest was perfect, but you think about it because I had my parents, uh, yeah, my parents, uh, they were both born, yeah, they were both born during the Spanish flu. You know, during, you know, the heights of the Spanish flu, 1919, 1920. Uh, my dad lived on a farm. And, 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 you know, and interesting enough, his dad went to Gallatin, came to Gallatin, Missouri, to get a car dealership in 1929, right when the Great Depression began. Needless to say, he went back to the farm. Uh, and my my parents survived the Great Depression. They survived World War II. My mother's first husband was killed in World War II. They basically helped rebuild America post World War II. They pretty much designed the strategy of the Cold War which ended in victory, presided over two people of that generation, George H.W. Bush and, of course, Ronald Reagan. If you think about the accomplishments they have, they win a world war, they survive a depression, they built this country post-World War II and probably one of the greatest countries ever, you know, dominant ever, economically speaking. And... You look at their accomplishments, I it's like, you know, what was discovered? Antibiotics were discovered. We went to the moon. The technology that took us to the moon, they were a party to. Uh, the civil rights movement began during the 1950s, where you began the first steps of redressing some very big wrongs. They built one of the most powerful economies, which they handed over, to his baby boomers. 
in the 1990s. You know, that's an, you know, they have, you know, that's an accomplishment of an entire generation, the generation that fought Pearl Harbor. And I'll start with you, Dr. Larry. What do you think? Well, um, I was there when it was bombed, and um, I had to really run my tail off to get out of the way. <laughs> no, I wasn't really. Um, I think that I think that uh, they had. I always make the comparison of my uh, my dad went to um, school riding on with his uh one of his sisters on a on a horse on a horse's back and um he lived to uh fly to uh, Rome on a trans uh Atlantic uh, a jet airplane and uh, it's uh, it was an incredible it's an incredible period uh that uh, that, that really <clears throat> um, that the that these people lived in, um, and and they clearly they they didn't just live in it; they also uh, did it. I mean, they they made it. Um, I think though that one of the greatest um, uh, accomplishments or one of the greatest challenges that were in that generation uh was actually before before Pearl Harbor and that was the uh, great depression it um and that that really uh it could have changed it could have changed it could have gone many many different ways uh including it could have gone in the direction of uh rush of uh, germany's uh, uh flight, flight into uh, nazism or some some uh, other uh, you know some other type of uh, totalitarianism and yet they they stuck with it enough that uh, they didn't um, they came out of it I don't. I guess they would not have gotten out of it. Probably, well, had had World War Two not happened, it's a, a big question as to what what would have what where what would have been next because uh, the the World War the World War galvanized the United States into a lot of uh, action. Uh, uh, not only military but also uh, economic financial action that actually got got us out of the uh, the depression. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it's, it, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, I, I'm going to say a, really, it's quite a story. I mean. Yeah, it's great. Uh, uh, Pam, your thoughts? I agree with Doctor Larry. It is. Uh, Quite a story, number one. Uh, my whole thing, if you've never been to the Arizona, I would uh, encourage anybody to just take that trip. Um, 
it, it is, you know, a, a remarkable um, journey and a remarkable story. And to know, even even now when I see the pictures, and, you know, today's the anniversary and you see the pictures, I know people were still there because they were still trapped in those ships. But those guys didn't give up fighting. And the guys that were there that went through what you and I would consider today PTSD, you know, they kept fighting. Um, there wasn't any such a thing as PTSD in their world, in their mind. You know, you just kept doing the job and you kept going through it. And yes, these bad things happen, but you keep doing the job and you keep your, you know, you keep focused on what the goal is. And um, <clears throat> I think that, that, that we have not taught Pearl Harbor well enough to this day. I mean, because you even talking about on the Japanese side, you, you have somebody who is um, so uh, had such conviction that they were willing to die. I'm talking about the suicide bombers. They were willing to die yeah. to do this. And on our side, you had the guys that were willing to die to drop this bomb. You know, yeah. um, I'm talking about Doolittle's Raiders and stuff. I mean, these people were yeah. willing to give up their life for this, um, which, uh, you know, in one sense you could say it was a little fanatical, but on another sense it was um, it was do good for men and not, you know, not for myself. It wasn't, it, people weren't doing it for themselves. They were doing it for no. their neighbors. They were doing it for everybody around them. You talk about the Great Depression that was when people came together also because everybody was in the same boat. You know? That's a, yeah, that's a good point because that's what my dad once told me. He said, you know, we never viewed ourselves as poor because we were all poor. You right. know, we were all in the same boat. And But here's a little interesting tidbit here about Pearl Harbor because people don't realize how close we came to basically, you know, uh, Losing it all in the sense that, uh, you know, there were some. First of all, the Japanese made a couple of critical mistakes. They didn't bomb a third and the fourth time around uh, like they could have uh, to, you know, put the entire base. And all of our aircraft carriers were not there. And had we confronted the Japanese, we most likely would have lost most of our ships, and even far more greater men. I mean, this was one of those uh, battles that on the surface was a complete debacle for the United States Navy, but it proves to be in the end, okay, well, it proved that, but it may have proved to be even more of a disaster because once we got into the war, our industrial might came forth, uh, literally, but and here's well, we the other aspect. Of, we wouldn't have known well, that, you know, if it no, hadn't been for the war. No, we wouldn't have known that. You're absolutely correct. We wouldn't have known that. I'm just making the point here that, uh, you know, you look at the first opening months of that war, even at Midway, people don't realize at Midway, we that's the one battle where you had a United States admiral, base, you know, Chester, you know, basically designing a battle plan despite the fact that they were outnumbered two to one in aircraft carriers, outnumbered in planes in general. And they still found a way 
to basically win that battle, that turned the tide. But for six months, it was nothing but bad news, and yet they persevered through all of this. You know, it's like we're going to eventually win this thing. We didn't give up. So, but but I think that I think that one of the the keys to this whole phenomenon is that it was that our <clears throat> victory as a people was really psychological. It was the the the, the, uh, the, the psychology of it. I mean, be, there wasn't anything that we were doing in the war, in the war that we could not have done in the peace, but we yeah. but we we weren't motivated, and therefore we didn't do it. But um, but that really is 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 a, is, is a uh, phenomenon that is more psychological in in, in effect. Than it is uh, material, so that's really uh, an, an astounding yeah. factor, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I say, I go back to the original point I made uh, before you came on the air. If you look at that generation, what they accomplished, uh, I mean, they, you know, they, like I say, they survived a depression. They won a major war. They set in motion the strategy and presided over that strategy that ended a the Cold War without a nuclear war in victory. I mean they literally handed you know the next two generation a country so far ahead of everybody else at that point in time. I mean that's I mean there was accomplishments there that just can't be denied of what a you know of that one aspect of greatness. I mean, for, I mean, there's that period of time when the United States was the lone superpower. I mean, that's the world of George H.W. Bush, member of the greatest generation, passed over, handed over to Bill Clinton, to George Bush, and to the rest of the baby boomers from that point forward. Now, many of the technology we look at today was developed in that period of time from the computer to space travel. And as you stated, uh, and you made a very interesting point. I know we're about ready to, uh, you know, I'm about ready to leave here. But I want to thank you, Pam, for coming on the show. I want to thank you, Dr. Larry, for joining us. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow night, Will Riley will be, yeah, Will Riley will be joining me on the Donaldson Files. And was this this hour? Who knows? You just have to come in and listen to the show to know what's going to happen. <laughs> And on that point, I'm going to say goodnight. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned on this network for you and the law because they have Roland Skip Kelly, defense attorney, um, to join them. So this is Tom Donaldson saying adios, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Hey, we want to welcome everyone to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We've got an exciting show that uh, we're going to be talking about uh, part two of our series of of, uh, guardianship abuse. And uh, we're going to be joined with uh, with an attorney out of Oklahoma City who is a trial attorney. It's Ronald Skip Kelly, and uh, he's going to give us some legal advice on how families and seniors can take steps to their loved ones' uh, financial affairs so they don't become a victim of, of, of a guardianship uh, uh, abuse. And so the the audio clip that we just listened to uh, it shows just how families become so vulnerable uh, to guardianship abuse. And, Skip, thank you yes, for sir. joining us. But, you know, I want to say this, that 99% of people have no idea about the inside, the scams of, of, of how legal guardianship actually works because a person has to petition the court to become a guardian over somebody's personal affairs. Well, that's that's correct, uh, and thank you for, for inviting me to your show. Uh, I think one of the probably the biggest problems we see as attorneys in this field as it relates to uh, people who are either incapacitated either through a physical disability or due to some you know medical injury that has uh, compromised their ability to handle their own affairs uh, either by way of transportation or or sometimes just you know some memory loss and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have lost everything and I think the biggest problem that I have witnessed over the years is that people really do not understand what a guardianship is, who it's for, and what the purpose of it is. And I've heard so many people say, you know, well, I'm, I've got guardianship. I'm going, well, where's your court papers? Well, we haven't been to court. She just told me I could do this and I could do that. And that's where I think you have most of the problems in reference to people's property and their estate being, um, you know, invaded by those individuals who really don't have the good intention of the person who is in need of assistance. And I say assistance because so many times we take that word and think that Everyone that has a disability of some degree, they need a guardian or they need somebody appointed over them. And you'd be amazed at the number of individuals in our in our society as a whole in the United States of America that has some mental disability but yet and still are able to function and do a lot of things that those individuals who claim that they have no mental disabilities can do. That's, you know, one of the biggest problems is just having people to understand that this is a process that the court system, the legislature, has mandated that you cannot take advantage of someone because of any disability that they may have. And so... This whole process of a guardianship, it starts and has to start in a court proceeding with the filing of a petition to give the whole world notice. You just don't get to file a petition and say, well, I don't have to tell 
my sister and I don't have to tell my other brother because they're not doing anything anyway. So I'm just going to do this because I'm the only one that mama is depending on and I'm the only one that's here. And so sometimes they think that, you know, that they're the ones that's going to be the premier uh, authority over the mother or over the father or whatever the case may be or the relative may be. And as a result, they put themselves in an illegal position doing illegal things and ultimately could be held accountable in a criminal court for wrongdoings. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and Skip, you know, I'm going to set this up for you and our listeners who probably didn't listen to the uh, show last week where I got this topic after watching a Netflix movie uh, called I Care A Lot. And I Care in A this Lot? Movie, yeah. yeah, I Care A Lot. And in yeah. this movie, are you familiar with it? I'm very familiar with it. The, 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 okay. professional, the professional guardianship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the so part, this lady the professional here, guardians out of, out of Nevada. Yeah. So this lady here petitioned the court without uh, – they would prey on individuals who they knew had substantial amount of wealth, who had a lot of assets, who had uh, a lot of resources, and who were elderly. And they were primarily, you know, single, senior citizens. So she would petition the court uh, – through the means of based upon what this person's doctor would recommend. So she would petition the court and say, hey, this person needs to be become a ward of the state. We can provide all of, all of this here service without even the uh, person appearing in court themselves. And so uh, after watching that movie, Skip, it became like, okay, well, this is a movie, but in real reality, these things actually happen. But, Skip, we're coming up, we're taking our first break. We're going to take this break. We're going to come back and get into the conversation of the guardian, the consequences of guardianship abuse, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Skip, are you there with me? Sure. Okay. Well, it looks like uh, I thought we were going to go on break, but we, <laughs> we, we're not going to go on break, but uh, if you're just now tuning into the show, uh, we, uh, we're talking with uh, Attorney Ronald Skip Kelly out of Oklahoma City, and we've got him on to give us some legal advice, our, our listeners, about what steps families can take uh, in uh, for, to make sure that they don't become a victim of guardianship abuse. And Skip... As, sure. as you stated, a person is supposed to petition the court, and obviously that – and oftentimes, Skip, what, what I've seen, what I've discovered in researching uh, to prepare for the show is that um, it's not necessarily somebody who, is, who has a medical condition who may be suffering from dementia or may be suffering from some type of – of medical illness that would require them to have some type of guardian 
that could take care of their financial affairs. But oftentimes, these are people who are perfectly healthy. They are maintaining a job. Uh, they're retired from the military or they're just retired from a, from a job that they worked on for 20 or 30 years. And they're living pretty well off, but you've got somebody who wants to come in and uh, just kind of wreak havoc over their lives. So it's not necessarily people who are just uh, who have some medical issues who really need to have family members take step in to, to kind of help them out. Well, you know, by law, the the definition of of the the need for guardianship has to be based upon a um, the need of an incapacitated person, and an incapacitated person by statute uh, under the laws of the state of Oklahoma and most states has the same have the same um, defining. Um, Concepts in, in reference to mental illness, intellectual or developmental disability, physical illness or disability, or those individuals who are suffering from drug or alcohol dependency that has affected their either physical well-being or their mental and intellectual uh, well-being. So that the drug and alcohol dependency has been added as a fourth um, definition of, of of an impaired person by reason of any of those different um, issues and um, you know as I, I will say this that a lot of times you have court systems that have been more relaxed than they should have been as it relates to the oversight of the process because once a person is appointed as the guardian of an, of an individual there is supposed to be a yearly accounting to that same court from the person that's been appointed the guardian, and that yearly accounting is supposed to provide the court with everything and every inch of that person's assets, that what has been spent, what it was spent for, how much is in his bank account? How much was in the bank account when the guardianship was 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 granted by the court? And that's where I think a lot of times this whole issue of exploitation and misappropriation of funds gets lost, and the ward themselves, which is the person who's incapacitated, we refer to them as the ward in court, that they lose. And it's because those who are in power, in the position to provide the oversight, their oversight. And, and if you do provide that oversight, you bring the person that's been appointed the guardian, that person has a certain court date that he has to come back in before this judge and give a review of the status of this individual. And I think right. if the courts would be more um, mindful of those, just really those time frames in reference to the appointment, you would see a big change as it relates to some of the, the way people's funds are being exploited. And, um, and, and the state of Oklahoma has just recently, as of this month, last month, 
we as attorneys are now having to learn some new law as it relates to uh, Senate Bill, um, I believe it was Senate Bill 198, that uh, revised some of the provisions of the of Title 30 of the Oklahoma Guardianship Statute, which now makes it a little bit difficult, more difficult for anyone to come into court and just say, hey, um, he or she is incapacitated mm-hmm. and we need to be appointed a guardian. Well, now okay. you you have to do a little bit more than show – you have to – provide the court with more evidence that this is the most or the least restrictive measure that can be placed in uh, in a court order to provide for the needs of the guardian. Well, and that's good to know, Skip, because, you know, in our previous show, we played a, uh, a clip where this lady had uh, – inherited uh, quite a bit of money from her father, um, and she had a job. Um, she was taking care of herself. There wasn't anything wrong with her. And this was this took place in Florida, which obviously Florida has some really vague laws when it comes to guardianship. So she, the sister petitioned the court without the sister's knowledge or even appearing in court, and the judge granted her guardianship and so the deputy show up to her home. I said, "Hey, you've got to go with us." And this lady Skip is like, "What are you guys talking about? There's nothing wrong with me. I don't know anything about what's going on." Uh, but it was her sister who was behind this. So this lady ended up having to leave the state of Florida, losing all of her property, all of her assets, all of her her money, and went to California just to almost kind of like start a life over with, but the sister is the one who did all this here. So with the new law that you're talking about that just recently passed in Oklahoma, which is going to give a lot more protection for seniors uh, so they don't become a victim of guardianship abuse. Well, the the legislature has now – made it more difficult to just come into court and and file a petition for guardianship because now the court has to have a hearing to determine if there is any least restrictive alternatives to a guardianship. And if there are any other alternatives, then those alternatives have to be utilized have to be recognized as a means of assisting the uh, the ward. And the other the other change that the court uh, that the legislature um, made in this um, in this bill was in the past the the guardian the person that's appointed to guardianship they're supposed to provide at the time of their appointment at the time of the petition and they get appointed letters of guardianship, they're supposed to provide the court with a plan of how you're going to provide for this individual. You know, where is the individual going to live? How the bill's going to, how's the, uh, you know, if they're in their own home, are you going to be maintaining, uh, managing all of their business affairs as far as the, the maintenance on the house, the upkeep on the house, the utilities, 
the bank account, so forth and so on, because if there's any assets, you're supposed to go to the bank and set up a guardianship account in the name of the ward. So if the ward is Miss Smith, then the bank account is supposed to be the guardianship account of Miss Bertha Smith, okay? Mm-hmm. Therefore, you have a track, I'm say you have a paper trail of everything that you spend for Miss Smith, you know. And a lot of people get in more trouble by using debit cards, credit cards, mixing their own funds with the funds of the guardian and then coming in the court and say, well, I had to withdraw $200 out of her account because I used my credit card to buy this and she told me it was all right for me to get it out of the account. That is just absolutely wrong. And so now this, the, you start out with the plan, and you have to give notice of this guardianship plan to everyone, which means if Miss Smith has three cousins, they're her family members. They may be the only family members she have left, but every last one of those relatives are supposed to get notice of what your plan is for Ms. Smith. And they're supposed to get notice in reference to the petition that's filed for you to be appointed as her guardian. So the the legislature has become a little bit more uh, concerned about the way a lot of our senior citizens and a lot of, I mean, this also applies to children because you have adult guardianships and uh, guardianships for children. So the same uh, rights apply as it relates to protecting their interests, protecting their welfare, and make sure that, you know, what they have left in life is not going to be exploited by someone who's just there for all practical purposes to take advantage of them. Correct. Well, hey, Skip, I, I want to remind everyone that's listening to the show uh, that the, if you're just now tuning into the show, we are We've got uh, on our guest uh, attorney Ronald Skip Kelly out of Oklahoma City who is talking with us about uh, legal guardianship and, and the abuse of guardianship. And I want to remind you that uh, if you miss any parts of this show, uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast show at thebatchofthenews.airtime.pro, thebatchofthenews.airtime.pro. And uh, also the chat room is open. If you've got any comments or questions, uh let the producer know, and uh, those messages or comments will get to us. And uh, if you call in at 646-929-0130, um, just let the producer know, hey, you'd like to come on air, and you've got a question for Attorney Ronald Skip Kelly. Uh, I'm pretty sure he he's more than uh, glad to answer your questions. Uh, but uh, this is a real important topic, Skip, and, uh, again, I just don't think a lot of people uh, last week were just kind of taken away as our conversation evolved over the over the show that just how easy uh, something like this here can happen to people. And so, and I know this, this movie, is, is, it was a fictitious movie, but these are things that happen in real life, and there are so many news stories that it has happened to not just hundreds of people, but thousands of people who have lost pretty much their whole life savings, Skip. And, well, uh, let, me, but, let me just 
let me just add this to I mean I think you you refer to to the the movie a lot and is is if like you know so much of this is generated by by strangers as sad as it oh, is it's not yeah. most of the exploitation of family members when I say family members, because it's kind of hard to talk about it because everybody, you know, at my age, you've had a mother, you've had a father, you, you know, you know, people who, yeah. who, who are older than you that you have seen through the transformation of life as you growing up and you saw, you know, what their needs are. Yeah. Most hey, Skip, of, sure. Can you hold on for that? Hold on to that thought because we're coming up and we're going to take this break that we've got to take, but. Uh, we're going to take this break, and we come back. We're going to get back into the conversation with Attorney Ronald Skip Kelly about guardianship abuse. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you've got a clogged up nose, simply stuffy. If you've got a snuffy nose, simply stuffy. If the rest of you feel fine, but your nose is out of line, give your schnozzle what it needs, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, from the makers of Children's Tylenol. It has only the medicine your child needs to make a stuffy nose simply disappear. If you want to smell a rose, get your stuff out of your nose. If you take a serious pride, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, use as directed. Um, if you have a question, the chat room is open at blogtalkradio.com. You can pick up us uh, 646-929-0130. The rebroadcast is on backslash So if you missed part of this broadcast, you can go to the website and um, uh, listen to it in its entirety. Check the local listings there. You can find out what time the show airs. And then you can listen to this and other shows um, here. Um, the chief uh, came in for um, attorney uh, Scott and, and, um, and I was really having a question about how the guardianship works. Uh, he mentioned uh, some of the things that come across is that, you know, uh, those who are um, handicapped or are not in a position to take care of themselves for whatever reasons have relatives just take care of them, and then there's no written agreement or anything in place. So the questions I'm getting to you, uh, uh, attorney, is uh, you know, how does it work? Um, in terms of if you have a guardian that's a cousin taking care of a family member, and here comes the niece or the sister or the daughter-in-law or whoever, and they've been taking care of, and maybe the person is um, you know, mentally not capable of you know, uh, making those uh, decisions, or, or just you know, they have dementia or whatever. So now you have a battle where somebody comes into the 
to the family fold and says, well, I've been taking care of them and I want to quit. So now you have this drama taking place. How do you decipher that part of that question? And then the second, um, what did you that came in some of the old emails. Uh, what are some of the steps legally that you take to be in a position to be a guardian to avoid some of that and to avoid some of that greed that that um, you guys are talking about? Well, I think that um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of you know, most of us don't don't do pre planning in reference to the unfortunate. Uh, uh, matters that may confront us in life at some point in time. And so, uh, you know, there are ways in which, you know, some pre-planning in reference to a a person's uh, estate could be, you know, uh, established in a document either by way of uh, of a pre guardianship or in reference to uh, some of the trust provisions, but as it relates to the property, as I understand your question is, it's like you know, and we we're I'm I'm very much aware of family members who you say you know I'm going to move in with uh, with grandma and you know nobody else is doing anything I'm going to move in with grandma so I can take care of her okay. Grandma is of sound mind to the point that she can say who she wants to be in her house and who she don't want to be in her house, right? So it, under those circumstances, if Grandma has some limited, you know, uh, disabilities, whether or not they may be physical or may some cognitive uh, disabilities, she still is aware of who's who her surroundings are, who's around her, who she wants to be around, and she can make that decision as to who she wants, you know, to be in her home to help provide for her. And, you know, as long as the person is doing everything that, that they are supposed to do without, you know, invading or intruding on the the, the welfare of the of, of the grandmother, that's all well and fine. Unfortunately, you know, many times that situation gets to the point where, okay, now grandmother's health has started, you know, slowly spiraling down and that she is losing some of her cognitive uh, faculties and she may now need to have somebody to go to the bank and pay the bills and to make sure that everything is being handled as far as a business matters are concerned. Well then now here he comes here comes one of the other children, and then this is my mama and you and now there's a dispute as to who should be doing what well, the niece that's been there or the uh the the granddaughter that's been there, she could petition to the court and say, "Look, you know, I don't want anything out of this. I just want to make sure she's taken care of, and here's my track record for what I've been doing." and what I have witnessed in reference to her health. And I think the judge would would obviously, you know, see that, you know, with her being there with the uh with the with the the grandmother that she's probably going to be the best one that the court would want to say I'm going to appoint you as the uh the guardian 
but everybody else is going to know what you're doing also. So now when there's a bank account, the grandmother's name is on the bank account, your name is on the bank account, but you're going to have to give an accounting to this court, and that accounting is going to be shared with all the other children. So if there's three other children and this this granddaughter, they all will have notice of what's going on. That's the way the process is supposed to work. Okay. Now, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, these are the that same scenario. This person is staying with Grandma. By the time Grandma is in really, really need of some additional financial help, it's all gone. And it hasn't been spent, and it hasn't been spent for the best interests of Grandma. Yeah. And uh, uh, Tyler, just real quick, because I, I just wanted to comment, and then Queenie from Mount had a question. I'll get that in a second. But that, that's a it's a hell of a mess, man. That's tedious because uh, if you're involved, this is my comment, my my only my opinion. Right, and then there's something, and and probably you got to go to the court. This is a mess because if you got, if you have a family member, albeit a you talk about grandma and or say the mother, and here comes this, you know, the one of the kids right. comes along. Right. From a grief standpoint, then there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in there. Like now you got to go through the court. And the person who is supposed to be caregiving for loses. So if 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 that person says, yeah, my niece has been taking care of me, but then they develop Alzheimer's, then and here comes my daughter, and then it's just a whole mess. Like it's a it's a total mess that I wouldn't want to be part of. But Queenie and Mount Olive has said you can comment on that. But Queenie and Mount Olive said. What if you're taking care of your grandmother and you're in your right mind and then then you develop issues? In other words, like he's saying, if you're 84 or 56 or whatever, you're taking care of and you develop some form of um, mental issues and you, your capacity, then how does it work in terms of the legalities there? Well, and in those situations, it doesn't always have to be, you know, based on an age either. You know, we all know that health can fall at any age, and we all could suffer from some type of disability no matter what the age is. But, again, there that's a situation where sometimes you even have people who are, you know, not relatives that become part of, the welfare and the care of the 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 individual and the court you know we have court appointed advocates for you know the vulnerable or or adult programs and many times you have governmental agencies that may recognize this issue such as you know in Oklahoma you have you know adult protective adult. services you have sure. DHS sure. and so sometimes mm-hmm. you know a referral is made uh, and then they do a um, you know a, a minimal investigation just to try to make a determination as to what the status of the individual is, and then that make it that ultimately could get reported to the court, and then they can petition to have this individual brought before the court, 
And if there's not a family member, then the court could appoint someone else to to manage the the business affairs of the individual. But um, you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm 72 years of age. I remember growing up. These type of issues was not a conversation in my community. I mean, there was no such thing as going to court and being appointed, nothing. Even if you were a child and your parents was not doing what parents are supposed to do as far as being fit for the child, and the child winds up staying with with an aunt or a grandmother or sometimes even cousins, Never was anybody going to court saying, you know, I need to get guardianship over this boy, or this this girl, or this, you know, and 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 you know the the elders, you know, when the age came, there was always somebody there to do whatever was necessary and whatever was needed for them, and I right. think that was the love that we had in our communities that nothing else got in the way of it because we didn't yeah. have money. So you know there was no issues about money, so you didn't have money to go to court, nor did you have money to fight over. <laughs> so so we yeah. just took care of each other. And, of course, as you know, as, as things have changed, and we know, uh, if you look at the Britney Spears case, I mean, a, a mm-hmm. clear example, that's a daughter and a father. You know, uh, 60 years ago, who would have thought that, a father is fighting in court to maintain control over his daughter's money. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, yeah. Skip, let me ask you this question, and I think this is a question that was raised uh, during last week's show. I think a lot of people assume just because people have money, yeah, they're vulnerable. But, you know, we've seen, especially in the, in, the, in, in law enforcement, where you respond to the call, and you've got family members that are squabbling over a couple of thousand dollars that, you know, the grandmother has or the mother has or the sister has, and you see how the money just tears families apart uh, all behind something that is tangible that's not going to be there. And so you can have Millions of dollars deal with the same thing, and you can have hundreds or thousands of dollars, and still you've got family members who, for whatever reason, they want to have some kind of control over a person's uh, financial affairs. But well, Skip, we're, we're getting ready. Yeah, we're getting ready to come up and take uh, take this uh, next break. But I want to remind our listeners that if you're just now tuning into the show, and if you miss any parts of this show. Definitely go back and listen to the rebroadcast show at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, if you're on the line, if you got a question, let our producer know. He'll get those questions to us or bring you on air. Uh, but also follow us on our social media uh, platforms. You can follow us on You and the Law on Facebook at You and the Law One. But we're going to take this break and we'll come back and we'll get into the conversation of guardianship abuse. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Come tap your feet and snap your fingers at the Homegrown Music Fest. All free at the North Carolina State Fair in Raleigh, October 11th. Having trouble with math or science homework? Call Rose Holman Institute of Technology's Homework Hotline. 
a free math and science tutoring service for Indiana students in grades 6 to 12. Call toll-free 1-877-ASK-ROSE from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday through Thursday. And the Rose Holman College student will help you with your math or science questions. The tutors are patient, smart, and pretty cool. Remember, it's a free service and a free call. That's 1-877-ASK-ROSE. Or visit Ask... Your mother-in-law just dropped in. It's dinner time, and she looks hungry. Time for a quick dinner. Think fast. Think eggs. Like an omelet with tomatoes and cheese. Quick, easy, delicious. So, she loves dinner, compliments your creativity, and finally admits you're not a shameless social climber who stole her baby boy away. All thanks to the incredible edible egg. For other quick dinner, lunch, and snack ideas, visit AEB.org. The incredible edible egg. The American Egg Board. Welcome back to the You and the Law broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you're part of the broadcast today, you can always uh, hit us up. And we've got airtime that so you can listen um, to this broadcast. Um, uh, attorney uh, got a question that came in and said that, you know, you had mentioned about uh, culture um, not being in a position to be worrying about any kind of there was no money there anyway. Um, but one of the people had asked them that when that is in position, it is a ward of the court or a, a reading of the will, uh, sort of the normality that takes place, and then what happens after that? You mean after the the court appoints the uh, the guardian over the ward? I'm saying after the person passes on, how does the the court divvy up things? Oh. Is that a pre, you know, person to be responsible? And I say responsible right. of you know leaving a will and and is there any loopholes in that? You know, okay. this person gets this, this person gets that. How does that work? Well, one of the I th- <laughs> that's a good question because. So many times people who have uh, been appointed the guardian, either what they call I have been self-nominated as the guardian of of, of Miss So-and-so or my mom or grandmother or whatever, or there is an actual court proceeding where the individual do have legitimate papers as being appointed the guardian, then the ward uh, passes. And so... I've had so many disputes with family members where there is either a power of attorney that one person has been granted a power of attorney and it's not even really, you know, uh, meets all the the legal sufficiency, uh, legal standards of the the, the law, but they call it a power of attorney or Mm -hmm. this guardianship. Upon the death of the ward, all of that ends. It just completely disappears, except for the fact that whoever is and was the guardian at the time of the death, they have to give a final accounting to the court of what the assets were and what had been the last spendings of the individual under that guardianship. But as far as what happens with the house, what happens with the car, 
what happens with the bank accounts, whatever money is left over, then that becomes a complete different process, which, which, what, what, what is called probate, which means that you would have to file um, – a family member would have to file a petition in court to, to initiate the uh, probate proceedings, and someone would have to be appointed the um, – um, over the estate, and mm-hmm. so with the appointment of, the, of that individual asking for letters of administration over the estate, then that begins a complete new process to to inventory the assets of the deceased and to identify who the heirs are of the deceased and then to make a proper distribution based upon the heirship. Yeah. So uh, I'm just uh, 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 chief, if 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 you don't mind, if you uh, just allow me uh, real quick. The reason why I brought that up is because I, I went through some uh, personally. I don't mind even mentioning uh, uh, this. So um, in my case, a uh, counselor, um, I my my father passed away. He had um, four boys um, and. And a widow, and, and 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 so, you know, he wasn't in my life, and that's a whole different conversation. But you know, I was I was told in my hometown, Connecticut. I live in North Carolina now. Um, that it, you know, his his information was in the in the paper, and there's kind of thing going on. I'm in Carolina. I can't get away. Um, it, you know, he wasn't in my life, so I and anything more that I wanted, but I had a friend of mine who was an attorney to go to the court to see what was going on. So um, everything was read. He left everything to his, his widow, mostly left um, a house to my youngest brother, left some jewelry to older brother, and in the life and the death, he left me nothing. But there was another child came petitioned the court for some form of uh, compensation. So he, he didn't leave that in his will, but here's a, another child, I guess, we don't know legitimately or not, just coming to the court and saying, hey, I'm a child, I'm a part of, you know, whatever's left. something on the side. So how does that work? Like, she, his his was in charge of everything, right? And left most of it to her to decide and everything. Uh, so the court, like it was really involved. You lawyers, I don't know. But here comes kid at last at the the witching hour, saying, "Hey, I want what's mine." So how do you even divvy that up when it was already divvied up? It doesn't make a lot of sense, um, especially if widower was. She took care of him. He had throat cancer and he died. Um, right. She took care of him and left it to this. So that seems to be a little confusing uh, to, to that situation. Well, many times what happens is is in a lot of situations there is some some child that uh, either is known at the at the time of the, of the demise and uh, or or may not be known but has been mentioned and they just don't really know for sure. And that's the reason why the attorneys have to make every effort 
possible once they have been given information and the personal representative has been given information as to who the heirs are is to find who is a descendant of this individual. And sometimes, you know, I've had matters where, you know, they thought it wasn't important because he was never in that person's life. And, and you know, uh, they may not have ever seen the person in person, uh, you know, but they've heard of the person. And, you know, that individual, if he's proven to be a child or the mother or the father, either way, he has a right to receive under that estate because unless you state in your will that I disinherit, my son Johnny, who has been nothing but a troublemaker all of his life, and I have spent over twenty thousand dollars in his lifetime, in my lifetime, I hereby does not give him anything out of my estate. Now that would be specifically stated in the will. Okay, so mm-hmm. Johnny gets absolutely nothing. So if there's a okay. million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, he gets nothing. But if there is just a will where he states that I name, I give all my estate to my children, and the known children in that jurisdiction is Mike, Melvin, Roger, and 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 Charles, and then all of a sudden they start hearing whispers about there's a Johnny up in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and Johnny shows up and says, you know, you know. That's my father, and here's my mother, and here's my birth certificate, and his name is on my birth certificate. Then Johnny gets to share in in the uh, in the estate. And, and, and you know, Skip, that that happens quite often. You know, uh, and as you know, uh, families take secrets to the grave, and after death a lot of those secrets come out and that's where family members who are already bumping heads with each other, it it can get really ugly when they find out that their father or even their mother had a child that they really didn't know anything about. Maybe one of the siblings knew something about, but the other ones didn't. And, at, at the end of the day, Skip, oftentimes that person really don't want anything. They're now all of a sudden who they are becomes exposed to other family members. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times it's not it's not so much the. I don't think nowadays it's about you know the shame of anything. I think it's just more, you know. People want to, I mean, they want to have their fair share. If they feel like that is, you know, there's something that they should receive, they they want to get in line for it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I've, yeah. I've had cases where it's, it's like you said, it was just, just like, you know, look, you know, I never had anything. I don't want anything. And don't bring me into to the fold, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I've had him to come to me and say, I didn't even want my name in the obituary, you know. And then I had mm-hmm. the same, just on the reverse, you get to the funeral home and there's an outright war because yeah. 
they don't want to put this person over here that was living over in 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 Texas for the last 30 years but the father has acknowledged that that's his child but all of a sudden mm-hmm. the other four kids don't want his name in the obituary cuz that looks it brings yeah. shame on the family <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah but it's you know but, it but it get to get back to the to the asset part of it it that is one of the uh one of the issues that uh that comes up from time to time yeah yeah. And and it's, well, it hey, it Skip, still comes down to a bottom to an issue of proof. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, Skip, let me ask you this question. So, sure. you get a you get a uh, family who comes in and says, uh, Attorney Kelly, uh, my mom, she had, you know, two hundred thousand dollars in her account, and now she absolutely has nothing. Um, what kind of advice would you give families who are in that that type of a situation and a hardship? Because now they don't even have money to pay for an attorney to represent them in court. Uh, So what resources or how would families go about trying to uh, resolve a matter when another, when their mother or, grandfather, whoever, all of their their uh, assets, uh, especially, you know, money out of their banking account has been uh, just, just used. Well, you know, many times that that happens, but I think one of the, one of the, the, one of the, 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 the joys that I have about my practice, and I think several other, many other attorneys in the, in the state of Oklahoma, you know, do the same thing. Sometimes we have to to give to those who cannot, you know, help themselves in a, in a legal situation like that. My heart goes out to any elderly person that has been taken advantage of by financial exploitation, no matter who it is. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times, you know, we take on cases where, you know, our heart is there because of a wrong that's been done. And, you know, you just feel duty-bound to do what you can do to try to to uh, to bring some degree of relief to that, to that individual. I, we had a case uh, about five years ago. Um, I mean, the son's living in the home with the uh, with the mother and and his stepfather, and stepfather's retired military, retired you know uh, high ranking you know officer when he retired, uh, mm-hmm. has a a very very comfortable uh, income coming in every month from uh, from retirement and from mm-hmm. the from the military. Uh, the mother, uh, she had a comfortable income, you know, and and the son just had some difficulties in life, and he was staying there. Mm-hmm. Um, they both began to start having some health problems, and the grandson starts coming by and checking on him, and you know, and then he realizes that one day he takes her to the bank and. And she finds out that there's a large sum of money that's been 
moved out of her bank account. Uh, and turns out that this son had access to the debit card. And mm-hmm. point in time, he came to realize that somebody needed to be appointed over both of their business affairs. And we petitioned the court, and, and it was based upon the fact that they they were missing all this money out of their account. And it turns out the son was the one that was spending all their money. Wow. wow. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> he went to jail for it. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and I, you know, it, I mean, it was like $70,000 over a period mm-hmm. of about about two years, but you know, for okay. somebody that's retired, seventy thousand dollars that they don't see, a lot of money. and they didn't get to see any of it because yeah. it was everything was automatically deposited into their bank account, and yeah. so with him having the debit card, you know, we found out he was at the casinos, uh, all the different places where he was using. Because I mean, using a debit card, there's a paper trail to it. Oh yeah. Exactly. So when yeah. we got the when the the son the grandson started looking at the, the the bank records and started seeing all these different places, he knew neither his grandmother or his grandfather was at any of those places <laughs> at exactly. any time. Yeah. But you know, at two o'clock in the morning, that's the not morning. the place yeah. where they could be at. Yeah, exactly. but you know, yeah. But that's and and that's a family member. That's a son that is exploiting his own mother yeah. and yeah. you know but we all know that there's a lot of a lot of factors sometimes that drive people to do things it's either greed sometimes it's drugs it's alcohol it's gambling mm-hmm. addictions uh, you know mm-hmm. it's just so many different you know uh, vices out there that consumes a person's mental faculties that they they don't think rationally they just think you know Whatever I can do to get by this today, and if card is sitting in there in that on that dresser or in that drawer, and I know where it's at, you know it's it's an easy solution hey. for the day. Yeah. Hey, Skip, we've got a question, Robin, and we're coming up on the last few seconds of the show. But Robin sure. asks uh, if you feel that there's enough laws locally or nationally to protect the victims and prosecute those. Uh, who commit these crimes? Well, I think that the first of all, they're difficult. In some situations, it's it's difficult to prosecute mm-hmm. because when there are cases where access has been given to the individual, then there's always that dilemma of trying to prove that what they did was with malice and and without the the knowledge of the the person that they're taking from you know so exactly. if if I give you permission to use my credit card or my debit card then what I buy you know that may not be what one of the other relatives feel like that I should have purchased you know it's like well we're going to go out and buy you know Steaks at the steak, you know, at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, well, you know, grandma don't need to buy steaks at that restaurant. It's steaks over there, is, you know, is you know, 
$25, whereas she could have just went over to this other place and purchased a steak for $10. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.